young men and fresh and uh, innocent and fodder for the preacher. Uh, let me tell you something, Jeff. You did a good job tonight, and, and I mean that. I'm standing behind the pulpit. I can't lie and tell the truth. <laughs> let me tell you a story. I have, you know, you get so old and have so many experiences. You got stories of all kinds. This actually happened. Hey, Mike, do you remember in the First Baptist Church in Eaton, Ohio, where Fred Hill pastored for many, many years? Let me tell you a story. I was holding a revival meeting there a number of years ago. Dr. Hill just recently went home to be with the Lord. But uh, he was a pastor and he'd asked me for a meeting. I've held several meetings for him. And at this particular meeting, the church was about this size, close to it, and it was packed. I mean, literally, it was just packed. And uh, you had we had to sit on the platform because there was no place for the pastor or the guest and music director all sitting, but also on the platform, there was the piano and the organ sitting side to side. And the music man, he gets up and he says, turn to 490 or whatever. And so when you hear the organist, when you hear the pianist, something's not right. You know it. I mean, as soon as you hear it, it isn't right. And so he tries to lead it and he can't get the church started they're confused and so he's, he's like whoa 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 stop for a minute and he turned to the pianist and he said what number are you playing he said 490 looked at the little lady on the organ so he's a little elderly so he looked at the lady on the organ he said what number are you playing she said 521 and he said, but we're singing 490. She said, I don't like that song. <laughs> so guess what we did? We sang 521. <laughs> but that actually, I, you could just tell more stories about things that happened in there. But that happened, actually happened. Jeff, you did a good job. And I'm proud of you boys and thank God for you. Let's turn in our Bibles to... Matthew chapter 6. Once you turn to Matthew chapter 6, then turn to Luke 11 and hold those two portions of Scripture. You have companion Scripture. Before you turn there, I want to thank the preacher for the kind invitation. Allowing my wife might be here today. It's been a joy and a delight. Enjoyed being with you and Terry and those boys. Brings back a lot of memories. And uh, trusting the pulpit with me, I don't take that lightly, preacher, at all. One man can come in in one service and mess the whole ministry up. It's not simple. And I never do that. If I can't help you, I don't want to preach it. So thank you. It's, it's been an honor to be here. And I'll be praying for the meeting, and you're in for a real treat. How many of you here have never heard Scott Carter preach? Any of you? Oh, my. You're in, you're in for a blessing. Great master with the Word of God. He and his wife children are just special people, come from special homes. And I love him. And you let him know that I that I said I love him. I do very, very much. I want to talk to you tonight on the believer in his prayer life. I'm not going to question any of you here tonight, 
whether you pray or you don't pray. I'm going under the assumption that I think I would be very, very fair in saying I believe that all of you punctuate your day with periods of prayer. All of us do that. I think we're amiss in something, and I'm saying this kind of directing it to the pastor, just to much Holy Spirit. But I, I really think that sometimes we need to have someone come in and preach and teach a prayer revival. Nothing but just on prayer, service after service, different things and aspects of, of prayer. And uh, it's a huge part of scripture. I mean, come on, let's read the Psalms. The Psalms are songs, but they are singing prayers. And uh, heart's attitude that's out in expression. You really want to get warm by a prayer than just read the Psalms. They'll warm your heart, challenge you. Read the life of Paul. Paul was one of the most praying men found in the New Testament. Now, we can only say that by the measure of what's recorded in the Word of God. There may have been other men, far greater prayer warriors than Paul, that's not even know that, but I do know that prayer is a major portion of the believer's life, or it should be. Pray about everything. There's no such thing as an unimportant prayer. Now let, me give me, let me give you just a couple statements and thoughts about prayer that I've pondered in, in life and in ministry. Why do we pray? Where do we pray? Why, where, who, all those things. What motivates us to pray? Do we pray generally or do we wait for an emergency to come up in our life and then we feel the necessity to run to God in prayer? Well, there's prayer of praise, just for no other reason than just go to him and praise the Lord. Just let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And uh, there's prayer of adoration. Prayer request and need and expression and it just goes on. There's prayer of intercessory, praying for other people that have requests and needs in their life and you pray in their behalf. It's personal prayer that we have in our life. I read a book by a famous pastor who's home with the Lord now and he wrote a book on the, on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it was basically a good book and matter of fact, he gave it to me. And uh, I read it and, uh, but there's a chapter in that book, and I'm not sure who it is, but there's a chapter in that book, kind of a brief chapter, where he makes this statement that he did not believe that a person should pray for themselves. I'm going to tell you something. I pray for me more than I probably pray for about anybody else because I know me, and I really need the intervention of God in my life. And the essence of prayer, now listen to asking to receive is asking God to do what only God can do. I do not need to pray for God to do what I'm able to do. Now, I may need to pray for God to help me and enable me to do what I need to do. But true prayer is confronting God with what only God can do in our life. And that, that is many, many things. And so <coughs> we want to look at prayer, and here's what we have. 
uh, in Matthew chapter 6 and in chapter 11 of Luke, we have what is called by men the Lord's Prayer. Well, it really isn't the Lord's Prayer. It's a model prayer. And the true Lord's Prayer is, is John and 17, where the Lord Jesus is heavy before God in request. And not my will, but thy will be done. We understand that. And I have a number of messages on, on Matthew 6. And uh, in one of those messages, I use this, and I'm, I'm transferring it over to this lesson tonight. It is a model prayer. Nowhere we ever find where Jesus says for us to repeat or recite this prayer. Now, it's fine if you do, but if that's the only thing you ever pray, you're not getting the point. Let me give you this illustration. In 1978, some of you were alive then, and the blizzard of 78 came through our state, and it absolutely paralyzed our state. And, I mean, it covered cars and trucks. Winter storm came in and stalled over this state. And people couldn't go anywhere. They found truckers unable to go anywhere, and they had to rescue them out of their trucks. There was all kinds of stories about how they stayed alive in their trucks over days and days without food and water and things of this nature. It was an interesting time, to say the least. Well, I am not a couch potato. I enjoy outdoors. I enjoy working outdoors and things of that nature. And just to sit, to sit would drive me insane or nuttier than I really am. And so I went to my wife, and we, at that time we had four children, four sons. And uh, I made a proclamation to her. I said, sweetheart, uh, I'm going to make a cake. And she said, well, I'll help you. I said, no, I don't want to make a cake. She said, well, there's all kinds of cake biscuits and things of that nature. I said, no, I'm not going to make a cake biscuit out of a cake, a cake out of a cake book. My mother always made from scratch, and her son's going to make a cake out of scratch. She just kind of looked at me, and her little dry eyes. She said, well, whatever. So I'd never take, baked a cake in my life. I, I never really cooked much of anything in my life. And if she gave you testimony, she would say he cooked nothing in his life. <laughs> so I started the process. And man, it was amazing. I got it all mixed up and I put it in the pan and I had the oven preheated and, and I put the cake mix in the oven and I started to clean up some of the dirty pans and things of this nature and we had an oven that in those days had a, a window in it to see your creation and so I bent down and I, I looked in that oven and it was, it was amazing absolutely amazed. I had never seen anything like this creation ever in my life. And it looked like two derby hats inside that oven. And I called for my sweetheart and I said, baby, look at that. She looked down and all she said was, uh-huh. <laughs> she didn't express any more than that. She just, uh-huh, and walked away. And I thought the audacity of her to 
overlook at this. So I quit looking at it and I went back and doing what I was doing. Finally the time came and I'd always watch my mother take a broom straw or a toothpick and she would open the door to the oven and she would stick it in and I never did understand why she did that. But I thought, well, mom did it, I need to do it too. And so I had this toothpick and I opened the oven, I pulled the shelf out, amazing. A cake piece had gone through that oven. There wasn't enough cake to make one little brownie out of it. Here's Smart Ellie comes and she says, let me see your cake. I said, you go back in the oven a minute. You don't need to see my cake. Well, she insisted and she, I'm sure she wanted to laugh and probably did somewhere along the line. And she said, honey, you left something out of your recipe. I said, no, I did not. She said, well, come on, let's look. And sure enough, sure enough, I left one ingredient and it would not work as a result of one thing lacking in that, re in that recipe. Now, what I'm trying to say is in Matthew chapter 6, Luke chapter 11, we have a model, we have a recipe. God says, include these things in your prayer and you will have proper structure of praying biblically. So we're not going to look at that. That's another message. But we're going to talk about, we're going to use this as a springboard. And look with me, if you would please, in Matthew chapter 6, and we find in verse 9 that the disciples come and they ask him, and you'll find this in Luke, where they said, Lord, as John taught his disciples to pray, teach us to pray. So prayer is learnable. It is teachable. God doesn't just send you out there and say, figure it out. No, he gives us a method. He gives us a recipe. He gives us a, a sample. It's like when you were in ch a child in school and the teacher would say, all right, we're going to have a math test or we're going to have a diagramming test. And the first thing was example at the top of the page. Now, it did not say that if you follow this, you'll get this answer for every problem. What it was saying is if you follow the example, you will get the proper answer to every problem. And Jesus is saying, incorporate this into your prayer life, and you will pray biblically, and you will not go in error and pray in an incorrect method. And people do. I hear it quite often, and I have. And I've had to ask God to help me with it. So look at verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. After this example, pray ye. Here it is. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither shall your Father forgive your trespasses. God, please help me tonight to be a blessing and to help these that are before me to form a prayer life that shows action from God through the request Father, we pray tonight for revival 
enable us, we pray, that we would fit ourselves in a method where God can reach down, fill us with, with his sweet spirit, and use us for the cause of revival. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, if you look over in Luke chapter 11, you will find that the basic structure is there again. And we're not going to reread all of it, but let's look in verse 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples to pray. And then the sample is given, is given there. So let's talk about prayer. And while we're getting ready to do this, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 12. Would you please? 1 Samuel and chapter 12. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, we want to look at something in just a moment. But what part does prayer play in your life? As a born-again Christian, what part does prayer play? Now, it's one of those questions that I can't answer for you. I can only answer that for me. But it's an amazing thing. When I, I have asked or taught lessons on prayer, I have had people come up to me and say, Preacher, I don't know how to pray. I've even had people say, I can't pray. That's even worse. That's even more dangerous. And uh, they said, you know, how do you talk to God? Well, let me ask you this. How do you talk to your mom and dad? Is it any different than that? I don't think so. I mean, I respected my mother and father, but I never did fall short on how to talk to them. I, I, and I didn't have to come up with big words. I didn't have to try to impress them. I was just who I was, and I talked to my mother and father. And that's what God is saying to us through Christ, our Father. I have a relationship. He already knows my weaknesses, my frailties. He knows my inabilities. He knows my lack of education or my pride in the fact that I may have some and I am trying to impress them. God just says, just settle down. Be the human and the chunk of dirt that I made you out of and keep it simple and talk to me. Give me the expression of your heart. Are you getting any of this? You know, so what part does prayer play in your life as a Christian? What motivates you to pray? Crises, a want, a need, fear, whatever you want to put in the list. Look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 12, would you please? And let's read out of 1 Samuel 12. Look at one verse with me in verse 23. And if you don't have it marked, mark this verse. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Is that not an interesting expression? The lack of prayer, individualized and for others, this writer says is a sin. That's powerful to me. That's powerful. Now it makes better sense, does it not, on the Sermon on the, Mount, when Jesus, on the Mount when Jesus says, pray for your enemies. 
Oh, we don't think like that. We're so human and so much of corrupt flesh, we think vengefully instead of prayerfully. I wonder what our life would be like. I wonder what our family would be like. I wonder what our world would be like if we actually took God at his word and believed it and we prayed for someone, something, and realize by lack of it, you're committing sin. That's what he says. And I believe him, don't you? Sure. Now, Jesus prayed. We find him praying on a mountain, in a solitary place, in the wilderness, in a certain place, on the, and he was praying on the cross. Father, forgive them, did he not? We find him praying for people, for his disciples, for Israel, for himself. His disciples desired that he would teach them to pray. Thus, our text in verse chapter 11, verse 1. Now, can you imagine, and I think like this, maybe it's just proving how simple my mind works sometimes, but not all the time. And that is this, that these disciples lived with Christ three years. They beheld him. They watched him. They listened to him. They observed him. And one thing that they had the joy of beholding is Jesus Christ talking to God the Father. That's amazing to me. That's amazing to me. Not that I am a great prayer and I don't even make a hint at that. But I remember when my wife and I were early married, had no children at that time, and a young couple had gotten married, Pat and Richard, they, or gotten saved, and uh, they gotten saved out of a pretty worldly background. And I remember we had, they had us over to their home uh, for dinner one night, and they had just one child, a little boy. And Pat looked at me and she said, Brother Roger said, would you say the blessing? That's all it was, was the blessing. And I said the blessing over the food, and when I said amen, she was sitting on the other side of the table crying, and she said, oh, if I could just learn to pray like that. We are to be students in the closet of God's prayer business. Of his school, we are to be there. The ultimate purpose of prayer is to have needs met. The ultimate end of prayer is that God gets the glory from it. In Luke chapter 22 and in verse 42, Jesus has this statement, not my will, but thy will be done. That's a difficult statement. If you're ever brought to the place in your life where you have to pray that, God has to enable you to pray that. Here he prays it on the cross. He says, not my will, but thy will be done. There are some things that are going to be configured in our life that are in such weighty need that we're going to say, have to say, God, I trust you with this. This is what I want. But God, I trust in your wisdom that you will do what is your will. And you know that may be losing a loved one in death. That may be losing a child. That may be an illness not to be corrected or to heal or change. It may be having to live a life of suffering and heartache and, and, 
things of this nature, it may have to witness a breakup of some kind. Not my will, but thy will be done. Do you know what has happened when you really get to that place? You're now living the crucified life. You're living outside of your will to establish the will of God in your life. Is any of this making any sense to anyone at all? God help us. So I want us to realize we're to pray and believe. So let's think on the following things. Very simple little outline. Now tonight I have an outline. This morning I didn't. Tonight I have an outline. Just so simple. Number one, I am told to pray. I am told to pray. And you find that in Luke 18. Men ought always to pray. In 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. You mean I'm never to shut up? I'm just to never say anything but just pray constantly? No, but to stay in the attitude of. Be ready to pray at a moment's notice. My friend, all of us here of any age can witness to the fact that we've been drawn to that necessity many, many times. Here's what I have formed in my ministry, in my life, really. And I say it much to my shame in the first part of this. And one of the worst places for you to ask the pastor anything is before he preaches and while he's standing back there at the door. I know, I've been there. And here's what happens, and the preacher and I haven't been talking about this, but I'm going to tell you what happens, man. Many a time, Many a time people come up to me and say, Preacher, I have a request. I need you to pray about this matter. Have you had that happen to you? Sure. Many times it's going to continue. Now, I'm not going to say don't do that, but I am going to tell him he needs to do something. Because I used to tell people this. I will. I promise you, I will pray about that. And then here comes the next person, the next person, the next person. And by the time the last person comes through with whatever matter he, they want to say, if it's nothing more than preacher, we love you, a good message, thank you for it. By the time he gets in that automobile out there to go home to his family, you know why? He's forgotten the prayer request. That's happened, preacher. And then as a result of that, God hears the prayer of someone, answers the prayer, they think he prayed it, they come up to him and they say, preacher, thanks so much for praying for our request. God answered your prayers. And in the back of his mind, he's saying this, oops, I forgot. So you know what I do? If you were to stop me, I'd say, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's pray right now. Let's just pray right now. Let's talk to Jesus about that. That way I don't forget it. I fulfill the promise. And on top of it, we have put our request on the heart of God. I'm told to pray. So if I'm told to pray, when Jesus says men ought always to pray, pray without ceasing, allow me, is that a request? Or is that God telling us to do something? It, it is a command. It is telling us we need to pray. And someone says, and I even had someone say this to me, but preacher, if God already knows, why are we asking him? Because he wants an audience with us. Because of this very thing, when I have a need, it puts me in proximity of where he dwells. 
and that's what he wants. He knows our requests before they're ever asked, but he wants the expression of a dedicated heart that expresses their love and belief and trust in God their Father. We are told to pray. Then look at the second thing. is that We're not only told to pray, but look at Acts chapter 6 with me. Would you please? Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 and in verse 4. Look what it says. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Of course, we know that's the choosing of the first deacons in that early empowered church at Jerusalem. So not only are we told to pray, but now listen, I can pray. You can pray. Do you know who I have the greatest belief and faith in the prayer of than most anybody? So it's just like this in the front pew. Simple faith. They don't question God. They believe Him. Except a man become as a little child. I'm helping you tonight if you'll listen. This can change your life if you're listening. If you take and make an application, it will revolutionize your existence as a child of God where your prayers do something. Years ago, years ago, I, my oldest brother, there's three of us boys in our family, and there was five sisters. And my oldest brother, I adored him. He was a good many years, he was 12, 13 years my senior. And I adored him. He was my big brother. And I adored him all my life. One night I came home, and um, the old barnyard of my family home was full of cars and family. He'd been very ill. It was a Friday night, and I walked in, and my brother next to me said, Alan's dying, said he just passed away. It seemed like my world collided and the floor was not under me. You say, but preacher, you're a preacher. You're a man of faith. I'm human. Not superhuman. I'm human. I went through a time with my brother's death that just wrecked me. How I pastored, how I preached in those days, only God knows. But I had an old man in my church could not come to church. He was in a wheelchair. He was all wrapped up, and he was a physical wreck, and he was well up in the years, 90, 91 years of age. His name was Charles DeFraser. He was a lover of God. Wife, long time dead, children all grown, and had grandchildren that had given him great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. He set a little humble old home there in Middletown, Ohio, and I'd, I had gone and asked certain people just to pray for me. Pray with me. I needed God to do something in my life. And I remember he always left the door open in the summertime. It was unlocked. And he'd see me coming up the steps and he would say, come on in. He was sitting there. And he had this kind of faith. He watched television all the time. And... I went in one day and he said, Preacher, 
So we've got to ask you something. He said, has Dan Rather made a public confession of faith yet? I said, Dan Rather, the newsman? Yes. I said, well, no, he hasn't, Brother McRae. Why? Has he gotten saved? He said, gotten saved? He got saved right there. I led him to Christ. That was as real to him as anything. I went to him on a Saturday. I knelt by his old chair, and I said, Brother DeFratis, I need you to pray for me now. Bony hand begin to weep and he said my preacher needs me my preacher needs me God did you hear that my preacher needs me to pray for him those bony hands got a hold of the top of my head and squeezed and that old man touched God he prayed for me and it made a difference in my life Listen to me, prayer is not just a form, prayer is a faith. It is a trust and believe that God meets the needs of prayer. And I can pray, you can pray. And I had a counseling office for many, many years, and people would come in and they would say, here's my need, here's the situation, here's the problem. And I would say something like this, have you prayed about it? And it was like, what a novel idea that is. You mean I can pray about this? You can pray about anything. You can talk to God about everything in your life. As deep, as intimate, as needful of a thing that it is, as trivial as someone might think it is. Oh, don't bother God with that. It's not bothering God. It's not bothering God. His invitation is there. Men ought always to pray. Pray without ceasing. I can pray. And these men said, we will give ourselves continually to prayer. I can pray. Revival? Well, it's not going to just happen. Praying people bring revival into their lives. And then number three, I get to pray. I get to pray. Turn with me to Psalm 109, would you please? Psalm 109. Look what the writer of this psalm has penned. It's amazing. Don't miss this. In Psalm 109, and I want us to look at one verse of Scripture. If I ever get there, we'll read it. Psalm 109 and verse 4. Psalm 109 and verse 4. For my love, they are my adversaries. But what's the next phrase, people? I give myself unto prayer. I give myself unto prayer. Not only am I told to pray, not only can I pray, I get to pray. David, I give myself to prayer. Not allowing yourselves to be caught up in the circumstances to worry, but pray. Do you know that worry and faith can occupy the same space? It's impossible. We're either going to worry. It's like someone said, if you're going to worry, don't pray. If you're going to pray, don't worry. That's how it fits. When you worry, prayer cannot occupy the space. 
But when you have faith and you pray about it, worry cannot find to occupy his space. I get to pray. Oh, what a privilege it is when someone says, will you remember this in prayer? That's not just for a preacher. That's for anybody. Charles Afraid, he wasn't anything. He was a retired steel worker from Armco Steel in Middletown, Ohio. That's where he retired from. He had just gotten saved, fell in love with Jesus, and stayed in love with his word and realized he could win somebody to Christ. And that's what he did for years and years. And he was giving the word of witness in a nursing home when he died. He was witnessing to one of the workers. What a man. He knew how to pray. There was an old man that was a retired dentist that was in my church when I was a little boy. I can still see him so clearly. He had snow white hair and coal black eyebrows. They were natural. And the preacher, he was a big man, and our pastor would call on him and say, Doc, would you pray for us? I wanted him to pray every service. Prayer was so real to him. I used to sneak and open my eyes because I thought Jesus was standing there. It was real. It wasn't some kind of a story or a made man play, a plan of some kind. He was in the very presence of God. That's where his heart was. That's where his mind was. That's where his faith was. He got to pray. Then, number four, I need to pray. Can anyone argue that point? I need to pray. 1 Timothy 2.8 says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Word wrath means anger, indignation. Pray for our enemies as we've already made a statement. I need to pray. I'll guarantee you if we would take a question around and go around the room person by person, even to the younger children in our audience, I'll guarantee you there would not be one person with any kind of sense at all that does not have something to pray about in their life. You have something or someone needs prayer. Every day of my life, I never am void of something to pray about or someone to pray about. I've been preaching now for 53 years. And you know it's a serious for me to preach today as it was the first time. Listen, you don't make me nervous. I really don't get nervous crying. Crowds don't bother me. And that's saying something monumental for the simple fact that when I was a boy in school, I would not give an oral book report. I could not get in the face of people. It scared me to death. You put symbols on my knees, I could have played the Star Spangled Banner. When God began to move in my life about preaching, I knew he'd made his first mistake. But oh, listen, it's not people that make me nervous. I just don't want to fail God. And I don't want to fail the privileges that I have by not having the proper prayer life. Listen, revival's not going to come because Scott Hawley 
is such a great preacher. You'll be blessed. But my dear friend, a body of people that prays for the right reason, the right purpose, a coon dog, probably barking coons, something spiritual will happen. Because God is moved by praying people. Please say amen to that. It's true. I need to pray. James 5.13 says, Is in the afflicted? The word afflicted means suffer, have trouble, hardships, evils in their life. I need to pray. I do not come to these places void of having prayed that God would use something. These guys are young like these two boys back here. There's almost an element of wanting to entertain and wanting to just really impress people. Hang it up. Just be true to the book. Yeah. Allow God to form you to be the preacher. I mean, I used to be able to scream with the best of them. I still can if I want to. But my dear friend, screaming without giving a truth to change a life is failure. Yeah, amen. That's right. Teach me something to make a difference in my life. May this have an impact. May I not go out of this building without being motivated. Know how to bend my heart in prayer before Almighty God to make a difference. Then here's my final thought. Not only do I understand I'm told to pray, or pray and I can pray and I get to pray and I need to pray. The last thought is I have to pray. I have to pray. Turn with me to Romans 8. Would you please? Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, we want to look at just two verses of Scripture. Romans chapter 8, and we want to look at verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself, that's the Holy Spirit, itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I have to pray. Now allow me to tell you something. If you have not reached a point in your life where a circumstance comes up into your life, that you bow your heart before God, find yourself wordless it's going to come you don't know how to ask you don't know how to pray you're just God has given me a gift it's called the indwellment of the Holy Spirit he indwells me. He indwells you. Yes. And when I cannot speak and the burden is too heavy, He picks it up. He carries it. He goes to the throne room of God for my need. And He prays in my behalf to the will of God. That's shouting time. Yeah. That's shoe-kicking off time. That's hanky-waving time. That is exciting when I can't 
God can, but greater than God can, God will. I have to pray. So what is the conditions for prayer? <laughs> Let me give you two things. One, make sure you're born again in the Spirit of God. Look with me in John chapter 9, would you please? The Gospel of John chapter 9. <coughs> and look with me at verse 31. Now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Oh, don't, don't miss marking that verse. <coughs> well, I just don't think God will hear me. Well, how are you living? Is there active known sin in your life that blocks the road of communication between you, God, the Holy Spirit? As a Christian, you've got to deal with that. 1 John 1, 9. <coughs> but a man... I've had men tell me I was in battle we were fighting the enemy and we were being bombarded incoming artillery was coming our way and I was lost I was unsaved but oh I begged God for life and said he allowed me to come home he heard my prayer no he did not you came home unharmed because some godly saintly mother or father or a friend back home somewhere was remembering you in prayer and pressing you to the heart of God for delivery and safety. Their prayer brought you home, not yours. Read it. He heareth not sinners, but he that doeth the will of God. So when a Christian is out of the will of God, cold, callous, worldly, crisis comes up in their life and they start begging God you're not in the will of God <coughs> we need to be very careful make sure that our life is where God listens the youngest of eight children we had all we needed but not all we wanted in life Our mother and father were wonderful providers I used to look at what other children have and measure it by what I didn't have. And I used to lust and covet a lot, and I learned that early in life. But it didn't take me long in life to start putting in order what was first, what was necessary, what was of importance. Father used to say, boys, choose the best thing. Out of all your choosing, choose the best thing. Look what it says again, verse 31. Now we know, we know, God heareth not sinners. Are you here tonight unsaved? The greatest decision you ever make is what you do with Jesus Christ. And then look with me. This is our last verse, Psalm 66. 
Psalm 66. Psalm 66, we want to look at one verse, and that verse is verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, let's finish it together, would you please? The Lord will not hear me. Heavy, isn't it? The Lord will not hear me. Now, if I regard it, what does he mean when he says regard? I mean, <clears throat> just behold it. <coughs> if I have it there, iniquity, unrighteousness, an idol, anything, or anyone that holds a higher position in my life than God, anything or anyone, Receiving my devotion that trite rightfully belongs to God. That's an idol we discussed it this morning. Now, lodge this and we're going to close. <coughs> <coughs> Jesus. As John taught his disciples. Someone has coined it. I don't know who. But prayer changes things. I wonder how many things become an emergency that would have never been an emergency if we had made an appeal for prayer. Sometimes we just create our own messes. Here's a weak analogy of that. I'm going to pray. One of the most amazing things as a young daddy was watching my children learn to eat. It's such an interesting creation. I mean, food is everywhere but in their mouth. I have pictures of our children thinking it was food and it was food. I mean, in their hair. Ears everywhere on the floor. No spoon, no fork, but good eat. You mean you allowed them? Well, we tried to instruct them, and you know, not one of my sons embarrassed me when they now eat. How did they learn? We had to teach them. Let's learn to pray. Revival, let's give ourselves to it. Lord, teach us to pray. Father, we love you. We're so frail, we're so flesh, we're so weak. Lord, can you use this message in my life, in our life? I wonder how many people tonight would say, I'm going to spend time with.